Welcome to the Faith Connections Podcast, a partnership between the Foundry Publishing, Nazarene Discipleship International, and Holiness Today. Welcome to our study this week of James chapter 4, verses 4 to 17. My name is Scott Rainey. I serve with the Church of the Nazarene in the area of Nazarene Discipleship International, or NDI. This adult Sunday school video lesson is provided in collaboration between the Foundry Publishing and NDI. The Sunday School lesson is intended to support the local church's efforts to make disciples who make disciples. Please feel free to use this video in any way that helps your church or its families. Over the past few weeks, we have been studying the New Testament book of James, written by James, the half-brother of Jesus. We have learned that there should be no separation between hearing and doing God's word. Faith and good works go hand in hand. In other words, you can't believe and sit on the sidelines. God saved you for good works. We also learn that since God does not show favoritism to the wealthy or the poor, we need to live in the same way, impartial to all people who are made in God's image. Last week, we came to understand the difficulty but absolute necessity of bringing our speech under the control of Jesus. As we enter into James chapter four, the first four verses set the tone and the framework for the teaching that follows. The topic is our desires or our cravings. The Greek word for desire that James uses in James chapter four, verse one, is an extreme term that has the idea of an irrational need. James suggests that these cravings are at the root of conflicts and disputes that the believers are experiencing. If these desires are not brought to God, surrendered to him, they can take us to a very dark place that we never imagined we could go. You see, the world constantly seeks to shape our lives and push us into its mold. While many find the allure of the secular compelling, it is a wide path that leads to destruction. With that introduction, let's dive deep into James chapter four to see how we can overcome these worldly desires and cravings in our lives. James chapter four, verses four to 17. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. 
Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while, then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. And as it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. James wastes no time in our passage for this week by referring to his audience as adulterous. When rebellious Israel went after other so-called gods like Baal in the land of Canaan, the Bible describes them as committing adultery against God. In Hosea, the marriage of the prophet to the prostitute was a metaphor for the people of Israel who had forsaken God, were adulterous, and who would soon be exiled. James is saying here that those who want to be friends with the world are as rebellious as Israel who ended up in exile for their sins. But what did James mean when he referred to believers as being friends of the world? Scripture referred to Jesus as being a friend of sinners. We often talk today about building relationships with unbelievers, that is friendships, with, the, with a Christ-like desire to help them to know God. What kind of friendship is James referring to? James uses a Greek word for love that has been translated here as friendship. This specific word for love means someone who has similar values to us. Greco-Romans use the term friend in a very specific way, reflecting a relationship between people of the same economic rank, gender, and values. In other words, you cannot love God and have the same values that the world has. Said another way, if you have worldly values, you will be hostile to God's values. The logical conclusion is that a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. James chapter four, verse five, is very difficult for translators. Because of that, even the English translation is challenging to understand. James refers to the scriptures saying something. However, this verse does not directly quote any Old Testament passage. The only noun in the quotation is spirit, and it can be either the subject or the object in the sentence. So this quotation James mentions says one of two things. If God is the implied subject and spirit is the object, 
It would read, God enviously longs for the spirit whom he caused to live in us. God is jealous for our spirit. In other words, God desperately wants his people to be fully his, not half belonging to God and half belonging to the world. If spirit is the subject, and this verse would read, the spirit whom God has caused to live in us envies greatly. While this translation has its own problems, it does, it does actually do a better job leading into James chapter 4, verse 6, which reads, he gives us more grace. In other words, because we struggle so much with envy, God gives us more grace as we submit to him. That is a lot of detail, and I admit that only some of you would enjoy such detail. Here's the bottom line. James is pointing out that our desires, James chapter 4, verse 1, if not surrendered, if not put under the cross of Christ, our desires can lead us to have worldly values rather than godly values. And when our values line up with the world, we are enemies of God and adulterers. To be clear, God wants our desires to be his desires. This is the essence of what Nazarenes call entire sanctification. By God's amazing grace and through the power of the Holy Spirit, our deepest desires can come into alignment with the very desires of God. Our first desire doesn't have to be sinful or worldly. God's transformation of the human heart is more powerful than that. By the blood of the Lamb, we are no longer enemies of God. But how do we get there? How do our desires, not just our outward actions, become pure? For that, let's move to James chapter 4, verse 6. The really good news for us is that God gives us more grace. Verse 6. Grace is the gift of God that makes transformation possible in the area of our lives that we cannot change on our own. By receiving his gracious love in ever-increasing measure, God gives more grace. God purifies the heart. Hear me today. There is grace sufficient to conquer the pull of the world in our lives. Receiving such grace requires humility, admitting our moment-by-moment -moment dependence upon God. In James chapter 4, verse 6, James quotes an Old Testament Proverbs, uh, proverb, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. It's Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34. Interestingly, James does not quote the Hebrew text, but gives an almost direct quote from the Greek translation of the Hebrew text known as the Septuagint. This might indicate that James was writing a primarily Greek-speaking Jewish community living outside of Israel who would have recognized the Greek translation of the Old Testament better than the original Hebrew. The Greek word for grace, charis, appears in only one verse in James, that is James chapter 4, verse 6, but it's used twice in this one verse. Here's a more direct translation. He gives us more grace, 
That is why scripture says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. The exact same Greek word is used twice. Notice that the requirement for receiving that grace is humility. In my quiet time this past week, I've been reading through 1 Samuel in the translation known as the message. The Israelites had sinned by asking the prophet Samuel to anoint a king for Israel, a king like the surrounding nations had. Of course, their sin was to reject God as their king. They desired an earthly king to rule over them, a king they received, King Saul, Israel's first king. King Saul was nobody before Samuel anointed him. But once he became king of Israel, he began to struggle with humility. In 1 Samuel chapter 13, Saul was impatient in waiting on Samuel to bring a sacrifice to God so that Saul could take the Israelites, Israelite army into battle against the Philistines. Saul had decided that he could offer sacrifices just as easily as Samuel could. The problem was that God had said that only Samuel was to bring such sacrifices. Humility lost, God's favor or God's grace lost. We see the same thing again in 1 Samuel chapter 15, when God had commanded Saul to destroy all living things connected to Amalek. Instead, Saul kept King Agag and some choice sheep and cattle alive. When confronted by the prophet Samuel, Saul said he was wanting to use the sheep and cattle for a sacrifice to God. He wanted to do things his way, not God's way. Humility lost, God's favor or God's grace lost. Listen to how the message translates 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 22 to 23. Do you think all God wants are sacrifices? Empty rituals just for show? He wants you to listen to him. Plain listening is the thing. Not staging a lavish religious production. Not doing what God tells you is far worse than fooling around in the occult. Getting self-important around God is far worse than making deals with your dead ancestors. Because you said no to God's command, he says no to your kingship. You see, getting self-important around God is what we call pride. Pride is the heart behind the fights and the quarrels we see in the church. James chapter 4, verse 1. Pride is often the reason for unanswered prayer. James chapter 4, verse 3. Pride is the basis of friendship with the world. James chapter 4, verse 4. And it is the reason grace is not received. James chapter 4, verse 6. Humility, on the other hand, is seen when we submit to God. Look at verse 7. We agree to his way, not our way. Jesus was the epitome of humility. He was completely submissive to the will of the Father. No one has ever lived a more dependent life than Jesus did. Do you know that Jesus never did anything that the Father didn't tell him to do? 
John chapter five, verse 19. Do you know that Jesus never said anything that the father didn't tell him to say? John chapter 12, verse 49. The concept of humility indicates submission to God. To submit is a military term that refers to arranging in proper rank. It carries the meaning of responsible obedience for the good of everyone. It prevents confusion concerning who's leading the charge. As believers, we submit to Christ and clear the way for the victory Jesus promises. For James, submission to God is the condition under which adulterers can return to friendship with God. He says, humble yourselves, submit to God, resist the devil. When someone resists, they are actively opposing another power. So when we resist the devil, we are actively hostile to the world and its values. We are not passive. James makes clear that when we do this, the devil flees. He cannot continue to stay around to see what more he can do, but escapes as fast as he can. James' words in verse 8 reflect the Old Testament. Come near to God and he will come near to you. The emphasis is on turning, perhaps turning around to go back to God. Come near doesn't just mean come back to God to be protected or rescued from the mess that you've caused. It means come near to God so that you can know God intimately. This is all about relationship. Turning is the heart of repentance. So James walks right through a picture of a repentant person. Wash your hands, he says, of the evil deeds you've done. The double-minded or those who want both the world and God need to purify their hearts. In other words, they need to make a decision between the world and God. Choose God's way only. The basic idea of holiness is a settled allegiance to God alone. There's no room for a divided commitment when it comes to God. Single-heartedness is what God desires and makes possible by his grace. James calls believers to grieve, mourn, and wail in verse 9. The word translated grieve occurs only here in the New Testament, and it means to be deeply sorry for the condition one has put oneself in. The Christian must take sin seriously. It is so very foolish to ignore the judgment of God. Those who humble themselves before God, like James has just described, will be lifted up or will be honored by God. In James chapter 4, verse 11, James's tone changes. In verse 4, remember, James called his reader, you adulterous people. Here in verse 11, he calls the reader brothers and sisters. <laughs> his exhortation is to not slander one another. To slander is to speak against someone. Slandering is often the result of envy. One slanders another person to intentionally harm them so that the slanderer gets an advantage over the slander. James connects slander to judgment in verse 11. 
it would be good for us to talk about judging for a moment here. Are we never to judge anyone or anything? I have to admit, I find it a little funny that it appears James, uh, that it appears James is calling out people who judge others in verse 11, just after he called his readers adulterous in verse four. <laughs> it sounds like he just judged them and is now saying, don't judge. Jesus, of course, is well known for his words from the Sermon on the Mount when he said, do not judge or you too will be judged. Matthew chapter seven, verse one. The Greek word translated judge is used more than a hundred times in the New Testament. The word has a broad range of connotations. Some acts of judgment certainly have negative connotations. Yet the same word is used to refer positively to acts of discernment or using one's mind to think through a situation. To determine the intended meaning of the passage you are reading, you must consider the context, what's being said around the word in question. In James chapter 4, verse 11, James's concept of judging is the idea of slander. The one who slanders or judges assumes a position above the law. They, in essence, take on the position of the one who created the law, the lawgiver. By judging someone in this way, they put themselves above the other person. Think pride. When their desire is worldly in this way, they tend to judge and dismiss others. When we judge or slander others like this, we're not loving them as God loves them. But when we submit to God and resist the devil, our desires for our neighbor line up with God's desire for him or her. Instead of slandering or judging them for harm's sake or for the benefit of the slanderer, we demonstrate the love of God by our humility before them. You see, because of God's grace, our desires have changed. We desire for others what God desires for them. Our passage for this week ends with James reminding his reader that we express our submission to God by the way we think about the future. The ultimate act of craving or having desire is to think that the future is purely up to me. I'm in control of my life. This is my plan for my life. I want my truth. I want my way. For the Christian, submission to God's will and God's way is our goal and is made possible by the wonderful grace of God. We orient our lives with the settled peace that the one who loves us most is the same one who's guiding us. So how about walking with him today, moment by moment, in wonderful communion with Jesus, not living for your desire, but for his desire, not ignoring him as you make your plans, but seeking him for his perfect will. Jesus, if we're able to live like that, we need your grace today. We humbly put your yoke on us. We learn from you. Teach us how to live our lives with the desire of the Father for us and for our neighbors. Thank you, Jesus, for making it all possible by your grace. 
Thank you for listening to the Faith Connections podcast. If you wish to order Faith Connection materials for your local church, please visit thefoundrypublishing.com. If you've enjoyed this production and wish to hear more, visit holinesstoday.org slash podcast or find us on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts.